Welcome to Rocket Ship, the home of epic React Native content. I'm Sam Grimm, creator of Galaxies.dev, and today we have a very special guest. I think this is the youngest guest I had on this podcast. Welcome, Szymon Rybczak from Poland. Hello. It's really a pleasure to, to be here today. Thanks for having me. So I think your your Twitter bio or X bio already gives it away. Uh, 17 year old React Native developer at Callstack. Um, I think somewhere else you said probably the youngest ever React Native contributor. Exactly. I want to talk today about a lot of things with you, uh, how you got into open source, how you can be uh, so prolific, like unbelievable skilled with 17 years old. I, I don't exactly know what I did with 17. I mean, I was kind of a nerd and did some some programming, but I was definitely not at the level where you are. So I want to learn more about what you do, how you got into open source. And then we're going to later talk about a super interesting topic as you gave a talk recently about React server components and how they could probably be used with React Native. So this is the the broad picture of where we want to uh, go today. But first of all, could you give us a quick introduction of uh, who you are and what you currently do? Yeah, so my name is Shimon. And as, as you said, I'm 17 as a Reagan Docker at Colstack, a software agency from Poland. And we are doing a lot of open source. And I'm in the technology team. And I'm trying to help in our R&D and open source initiatives. I'm also maintaining Reagan Community CLI. And I'm often trying to validate new concepts, such as React Server Components, New React Native. Right, yeah, yeah. I mean, the whole R&D department is like a, like a big playground, I guess. I think this is some of the most interesting stuff, and I could definitely see that I would do the, the same. I always liked like this initial figuring out phase, uh, but you're definitely on another level because... You said you're 17 years old, and somewhere yes. I read you have like three years of experience, which means yes. you, got, you, you really got started with like 14. How, how did that happen? Yeah, so there's a long story, um, but I was always the, that kid that was bored and always I didn't know what to do with myself. And someday I, I found a podcast with one of the Polish entrepreneurs uh, who was running the, who is running actually the startup. And he started when he was 17 and he started with, with de developing iOS apps. And I thought, Hmm, actually that sounds good. Let's, let's talk to the, to the parents and let's buy a MacBook. And that's how I started. And after learning SwiftUI, because that was the first technology, which I ever started with, um, I, I like wrote an email to do to the CEO as his founder of the startup. And he said, that sounds cool. And yeah, we want you on, on board. And that's how I started working. Um, because like I, I heard from, from few people that working is the best place to, to learn actual skills as a programmer. It's like you have on daily basis problems to, that you are encountering, uh, and you're trying to solve. And that's where are you developing? your skills uh, the fastest way. So yeah, that's how it started. Yeah, I think this is totally true. I mean, I can only speak from a limited experience because to be honest, I've only been employed for like four years probably, if I remember correctly. And then I went like my own route and I've been self-employed now for seven years. But during those first three years, I learned so much on the job. It's it's incredible, especially if you're like, 
really good colleagues. And I mean, right now you're with Callstack, so you definitely have great colleagues. I picked up so many things. There was like a genius at our work who could like, like we were a team of, I don't know, 20 people in that department and everyone worked on different projects and like some were Java, some were Swift, some were Python, some were Haskell. And there was this one person and he could just jump from table to table and everyone had a problem. He's like, okay, yeah, you got to do this. Okay, next problem, you got to do this. Like, he was unbelievable smart. And I learned a ton from him, like about Git and how to use like the command line and like just thinking patterns. So yeah, recommendation, of course, for everyone. Uh, don't follow my steps. Definitely work somewhere and get experience with a with a <laughs> great team. So um that's pretty cool that you actually started with Swift UI. I wanted to correct you and say, oh, didn't you start with like Swift or Objective C? But yeah, you started three years ago. So <laughs> at that yeah, time, Swift yeah, it, it is often when I'm when I'm talking this when I'm like telling this story, people ask me with Swift UI. It was like <laughs> released recently, and yeah, actually yes, and that was my first technology. So so yeah, but then I moved to UI Kit, um, and after that. After like working a few months in the startup, I learned about React Native, and that's mm. where the story happens. happens. Okay, so yeah, now we're, we're getting to to the good part. Um, so how did how did you? What was that? That was probably when you were like fifteen at that time, sixteen. So actually, at that time, Expo already was okay, I guess. Um, how did yeah. how did you stumble into React Native, and then how did you then continue your path on, especially learning React Native? Because I know. You usually don't learn that stuff in school. Yes, usually. Um, but we are trying to, to convince our teachers to, to do not do C++ that much and maybe try some, some technologies. And actually, uh, we were doing some, some React Native in the school. Um, nice. Actually, Expo, because it's, it's easier to start <laughs> a lot. And uh, how it started for me, like my journey w wasn't the the usual, I would say, um, because like I was working with with iOS uh, up in the startup, and the main product, the main product that that was whole company depending on was written in React Native and mm. in bare React Native because it was started like I think in 2017, so years already and at that time expo wasn't the, the thing that people uh, were choosing and i just downloaded the code base and the code base was huge i didn't understand anything like i didn't touch ever javascript and here i have like typescript react react native and yeah it, it was hard uh to learn those concepts but uh the, the colleagues at uh, the startup were really, um, really nice. And they were helping me a lot to understand the concepts. And that's how I started with React Native. So that also means you learned React by learning React Native. How, how did that exactly. go for you? Um, so it was like the first time, uh, okay, I know how it works. But then I needed a few months of like sitting, creating documentation to just learn how it works under the hood because I was like, I, I didn't understand the concept, uh, in depth and that causes, uh, that caused a, a bunch of problems, especially with the optimization stuff. So 
So yeah, I don't recommend that path, uh, to be honest. And go, go first, learn React, and after that, um, React Native or Expo. Yeah, I, I kind of took a strange path to React as well. Um, and I think I still also need to learn a lot more. Um, but I, I, I somehow get along quite quite well so far. So um, you, you picked up React when a React Native when you were 15, 16. I've seen in your timeline that you also now did a lot of contributions to, especially as we said in the beginning, you, you were the youngest ever React Native contributor. Um, how did all of that get, get started? And um, how did you actually make your way into open source? Because I think that's not the the first thing you want to do when you like work at a startup and just get into your first React Native project. Yeah, so for... Um... In the meantime, between Callstack and, and LifeKit, that was a startup I was talking about, I was working in a, in a Polish company uh, who, this company is, is distributing music with the mobile app and the mobile app is written in Expo. Um, and there I met Oscar, Oscar Kwaśniewski, who is right now working on React Native for Vision OS. You, if you are into tech Twitter, you probably saw some demos, uh, what he's working on. And he, we were working, we were only developers there and we were working, uh, on a, on a two apps written in Expo in, and second in, in React Native CLI. And after some time, Oscar joined Callstack and he started maintaining React Native top view and one day he wrote, Hey, Sean, I have a, some, some quick issues to solve. Do you mind doing it like in your free time or, or during lessons or something? And I said, yeah, sure. Let's do it. And I also knew that this library was created by Satya Sahul, who is like one of the most experienced experts at Callstack. And I, I, I can truly say in the React Native community and I received a review from Satya and it was like really great to see how, how much mistakes I'm doing, but a new knowledge that I'm, I'm getting is like very cool. And that was the first library that I contributed to. And I thought that Polstack is a nice place and they are doing a lot of open source. So maybe I can join Polstack. And then of course, I needed to do some strange um, things. So I didn't like write an unusual e email to HR. I wrote a message to Grabo, who is a, our founder. Um, and he said, yes, we'll give you a test that every employee do before joining the company to test your skills. And I passed this test and here I am. Was was it like a coding exercise or like a yeah, take home stuff? Yeah, coding exercise and some some questions, closed questions to to check the knowledge from from React Native, from React, and and from Native development. That's that's so awesome. I mean, just to clarify, you're not working full time for Callstack yet, so nobody's thinking anything wrong. It's all legally safe. Um, you're yeah, working the allowed our, hours for Callstack. It was really hard to to hire me, and a huge shout out to our people and culture team, who which did a bunch of paperwork and talking with lawyers to make it legally. But yeah, um, it, they did it. 
Yeah, um, I think they're, they're very happy that they did. Um, from what I've seen from your contributions and uh, also now you're giving a talk already at, at 17. So I, I can't highlight this enough. Like it's great to do all these things once you are like 25 or 30 or 35, but you're already starting <laughs> this at 17. So uh, I'm pretty sure you're gonna, if you mind, if you, if you stick to this, you're gonna have a great, great career or you can achieve whatever you want if you're already, uh, so much driven by that age. So you contributed to React Native. Um, what, what would you recommend for other people? Like if they want to get started? I mean, to be honest, I'm kind of scared. Um, I, I, I basically accepted that I am good at creating content and I'm not really good at like open source contributions. So everyone should figure out what's important and like what they can do. But I wouldn't know exactly where to get started. Like, should I just check out a repository and then look for some open back or, or where, where would I get started if I wanted to contribute? Yeah. So especially in, in React Native, there, sometimes there are umbrella issues and the umbrella issues works in a way that there's an issue. And for example, I will say on the, sorry, on the Kotlin migration, there were a bunch of tests that were written in Java. And the goal was to migrate them to Kotlin. And to start contributing, there was written a guide and people just assigned themselves to the specific test. And that's how, how you started contributing. And I, I would say that you don't need to understand whole code base. And I don't understand how <laughs> every part of React Native works. And I'm not trying because it's too hard. and. And yeah, you just need to understand the part that you want to, to fix or contribute. There are often issues uh, with the, a good first issue label and just try filtering the, the repository with that uh, label. And maybe there will be an issue that you, you will be able to solve. And yeah, just, just take an issue and just start working step by step and maybe you will contribute. Also, um, React Native communities was really great. So if you have any problems, you can write a post or you can write a DM to some maintainer and they will probably help you and they will probably find a way to solve the problem. Yeah, to be honest, I think this is this is on my bucket list. I definitely need to do this one day. Just like even if I just contribute to like the documentation or something, it's it's important as well. So maybe at some point this year I'm going to make this like a like a challenge for myself to contribute something. But I saw from from your contributions that you also contributed a lot to the React Native CLI. Um yes. do, you, do you like it more than Expo or <laughs> Yeah, so this is a like tricky questions, tricky question because from the historical background, um, React Native CLI, uh, community CLI right now was living in the core, and there was one initiative called Lean Core when a bunch of modules were migrated out of core to make it as small as possible, and there are still some modules that are tied into core and and core team is trying to move them out. Um, but, and one of the modules that was migrated is CLI. And um, Grebel and Dimaiki, um, who, who 
for working at Colstack, migrated that part and they were maintaining and are maintaining um, from the beginning to today. Um, and that's how Colstack started contributing to and maintaining React Native Community CLI. And when I joined Colstack, um, I talked with, with Michal and he suggested me to, that it will be my main task at, at, at work to, to maintain and fix issues with, with, with CLI. And a bunch of people ask me, why are you doing so? And like, why? And my question, sorry, my answer is, is really, very simple. Like right now we have a bunch of apps written in maybe written and bootstrapped with RCLI and we can't just leave the users. Like there are thousands of apps, thousands of developers, and these apps are shipped to millions of users. And we need to maintain the tool because these huge code bases cannot migrate in one day to Expo, which is really great. I, I love Expo. Like, um, there's sometimes people saying that we're hating Expo. No, Expo is really great and developer experience with it is awesome. The team is awesome. And, and yeah, probably if I, if I will to start a new app, I will just Expo. Um, but yeah, to finish, um, we are maintaining it to, to support also non-usual cases. Like as of now, Expo doesn't support um, out of sleep platforms that much. So if you have to like write macOS app or Windows app, Expo isn't the thing yet, but they mm -hmm. are trying to, to add the support. And I know that, that Tomek Sopeta, who is on Expo team is working on that, but it will, it will take a while to, to add the proper support. But with React Native CLI, you have this and you, you can write your, your Mac OS or Windows app right now. And also one thing that, that is important for, for like more extreme cases and for our clients is brownfield support. So whenever you have a native app and you want to add React Native, it's hard to do that with Expo. And there, there is no any guides for doing so because this is, this is not usual case, and this is I don't know half a percent for for users, um, but still, you cannot do that with Expo. But for any other cases, actually for the majority, uh, Expo is the thing, and you should use Expo. Yeah, this is this is really interesting. Um, I mean, in terms of. The differences of the CLIs, I want to get back to that in a second, but also what you just said, I think this is an area I just stumbled upon. I mean, I was always aware that there's this difference between brownfield and greenfield apps. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm just, I just read about it the other day. I think greenfield basically means you can start a completely fresh application, like on a greenfield and exactly. there's nothing else. Uh, whereas brownfield app means they already have like the client, the company has an application and you kind of need to integrate React Native into it. I haven't done this part actually myself yet, this this brownfield application. Do you have any experience, insight into that, into how complicated it is and how well React Native works and, and probably also like 
why these companies actually want that because i mean they decided at some point to build a swift application so why are they now saying oh let's bring in react native yeah because i, I think that this is the big companies are changing the mind about react native you know we had this airbnb article and <laughs> sunset react native and it like a lot of people still have this article in mind but fortunately a bunch of people are changing their mind and they're deciding to add React Native. And for example, Microsoft uh, in their code bases, they had they have a lot of Brownfield apps because to rewrite the whole app, it's really it's it really requires a bunch of time. Mm -hmm. But when when you are able to add React Native to existing app, it is a it is a faster process. And maybe you can add React Native on top of native app and start migrating part by part your native app to React Native. And at, at some point, you will, you will have React Native app that is actually native. That would, that would be kind of funny. Like you had still the, the, the Swift shell, but everything inside is just React Native. Exactly. And for Brownfield, is like... It's a, it's a tough topic and it's, it's, it's for advanced users, but we try a close stack to make it easier. And I think we have some blog posts. So at Callstack blog from Tomek Mishukevich, one of the, our developers who, who was working in the R and D team for, for a few months. And he wrote some Twitter threads, how to make it easier for adding React Native. You also have some, some, some repositories on how to, how to integrate that. So for everyone who wants to do it, does just look at our blog and there he in details writes step-by-step step how to do so. Yeah, I will definitely include a link to this in the show notes. Um, just like in general, I assume from what you say, it's not as easy as like dropping in a view and say, this is my React Native portal and everything in here is React Native. It, it requires more configuration and a lot more steps, I guess. Yes, yes. But um, at Microsoft, they're trying to make it easier. And in our next kit, they have some tools with which then adding a React Native to native app is easier and also upgrading is easier because like upgrading a uh, bare CLI app without native is is hard and takes some time. But if you add the native part, it's it's even harder. So they have some tools. So for anyone who who wants to add it, it may be a a a thing to explore. And also we have this uh, described in the blog posts. Yeah, um, I've in the past used Ionic and Capacitor, so other cross-platform tools, and I know that they also at some point developed a solution, a paid solution to at some point even drop in a React Native app in a native app. Like I think they called it Portals. Um, I know Portals are a different thing in the React world, so yeah. But there there are solutions. They are not not easy. Let's say <laughs> like yes. that. Um, so I just want to come back one last time to the CLI. Um, because you have a lot of insights into the React Native community CLI, but on the other hand, you 
most likely I have also worked with the Expo CLIs. So do you or are you aware of any other differences between those CLIs besides what you already mentioned that you like can't easily build Mac OS apps? Um, so I think that every Expo library works with, um, with both CLI, except from Expo Router, because Expo Router is tied to Expo CLI. Uh, but yeah, these are those two tools to manage your, your React native, um, apps. And if, if you were bootstrapping up with create expo app, then you should probably use expo CLI. But if you are, if you have any custom setup out of outer, you have out of three platforms or brownfield setup, the React Native community CLI is the is the thing that that you should use. Okay, yeah, that's a that's a fair fair recommendation to to wrap it up. So, um, you gave a talk in December, uh, which was called what was it called? It was called bringing, I had it. Yeah, bringing React Server components to React Native. Exactly. Um, so, my point of view on uh, React Server components in the past has always been. I'm a mobile developer. I don't care what you guys on the web are, are tinkering out. I don't care about your server components, but it looks like I have to rethink this after uh, watching your talk and seeing some videos from Theo, who also talked about this, I think at the last Chain React, there's yes. also a YouTube video where yes, he exactly. mentioned a bright future for React Native server components. Um, so maybe we can start at the really basic level for idiots like me, because I, I tried to keep keep away from them as far as possible. C could you just briefly explain what, what React server components are? Not yet related to React Native, just like the general concept. And like, it is super hyped on Twitter for like the last, I don't know, year or so, but maybe like regular people still haven't encountered it or still haven't heard about it. Yeah, so React server components are a topic that is, is very popular, but when it comes to like describing it's hard because <laughs> like the concept evolved in many ways. And, and yeah, so I will try to describe it as simple as possible. So React server components are adding new layer. From now we can like execute our React component on a server and it allows us to access database, access files on the system from React component. And this, this unlocks us to, this unlocks React developers to develop full stack apps. Actually React developers can write application from A to Z with the front end and the backend. And that is a great thing, but the architecture of React server components allows us to make a lot of optimizations. So if the component is executed on the server, we then we are streaming only parts that are displayed. So we are not shipping the unused code to the client. And in, in web, it is a game changer because on web, we need to have a as small bundle size as possible to get website as fast as possible. And with React Server Components, it is solving this problem. And, and yeah, this is the, the concept of Server Components. 
I, I only have one question about the, the server components because I've, I've seen some examples and stuff. How, I mean, the, some part of the code of our React code is then executed in the server and accessing file system, database, and doing this. Who is actually like splitting up that file? Is there like a compiler that splits this up and says, okay, this part will only be on the server and this part will never be shipped to the client? Yeah, so there's an, this directive called... Uh, that works in a way that you're adding use server or use client on top of your functions or on top of your file. And then bundler, bundler is the key thing here. Know where you should, where it should bundle and where it should put, uh, the, the components or, or actions. So, yeah. Okay, so, um, I mean, I kind of get this for the web. It kind of makes sense. Um, for native, uh, the, the benefit you mentioned in terms of bundle size is probably something mobile app developers usually don't care about. So, exactly. So why is it still interesting for React Native? Exactly. Like, a lot of people, people say uh, when I'm trying to discuss this topic that Actually, in React Native, it doesn't make sense because, like, you are downloading app once, like, you are downloading binary app with JavaScript once from the App Store, and then it just exists on your phone and you don't care. Yeah, that's absolutely true, and I agree. But React Server Components in React Native allows us to do other things. And fun fact is that I found a tweet uh, from Sebastian Markabesh, who is on on React team, and he said that actually React server components were initially designed at Meta for server-driven technologies on native. So what are the benefits? And in my opinion, the the one that will change the game and one that is Fia talking about is doing a one step forward in the process of releasing app. So we, right now, as a React Native developers, we have two ways of distributing our app. First way is a standard way where we are building a binary app, and then we are submitting into the App Store or Google Play Store, and then we are fighting with Apple or Google to, to deploy our app to the stores. And that is not the best process, but at some point, everyone needs to do it. But thanks to React Native architecture, um, we have OTA, which stands for over the year update. So release React Native app contains a binary code a, and a JavaScript bundle. And thanks to OTA, we can remotely replace the bundle. So whenever we have a critical bug or we need to change some minor things, we can use over the year updates and we can skip the submission by the Apple. And that's great, but here, we need to replace the whole bundle. And when you are on a big team or working on a big app, the bundle is few megabytes and, and yeah, that's not the best, but with server components, we can iterate on the component level. So imagine that you can update, I don't know, tabbar component, you are adding new tabbar icon, and then you are submitting, you are making your change we're bundling it and on new entry to the application, the new bundle for this one component 
is download, not the whole bundle for the whole application, which is a few megabytes, just one tiny component that is that will be very fast downloaded even on low internet connection. So we, we basically will have like like an initially loading shell. I think that's what you call it in your talk. And then like some parts that are not required instantly could be um, replaced by uh, React server components then. Exactly, exactly. And people are often saying that with server components on React Native, we'll lose the native UX. And we all love native UX of the application because that's why we are using React Native. If we wouldn't love it, we will use Flutter. But we love native apps, the feeling of the native application. And with React Server components, we won't lose the native UX. The components that will be received from a server will also be translated to the native component. It wouldn't be a web view or something like this. It will, it will be a, a native component. And also we, when developing the, the framework for server components on native or implementing them, we need to keep in mind that we can't allow the situation that we enter the app and the screen is blank. We need to have in client bundle always, whenever you have internet connection or when, or you have low internet connection, we, we need to have like activity indicators, loaders, uh, to just show it to the user, to not show the blank screen. And with that, the, ex the end experience of the application with React Server component and without will be the same, but the performance optimization is a game changer and app will be a lot faster. Yeah, I think this this concept is kind of kind of mind blowing and requires like a mindset shift in terms of how you compose your application of different elements that are like immediately native or loaded from from a server. Um, I I really wonder what the technology and then the flow looks like because these components are not just hosted on a server and are not just like HTML. They actually need to get into the React Native app and become native views. So um, in a second, maybe we can talk about some, some implementation details, but I can definitely see the, the value of this, of not updating, even although we have over-the-air updates, not updating everything, but just, just a button, just like trying out a marketing text copy or um, really small changes and iterating on them. Um, this, I mean, this will be super interesting, but do, like, what are the main problems we, we currently have with that approach? Because in fact, it's, it's not yet reality. Yes. Yes. It's just the, the concept and we are validating it and we are, we are starting discussions, uh, because like React Native and web is other other techniques for for the networking and web is a lot ahead because in react native we're focusing on different things mm -hmm. and and yeah uh, sorry what is what was the, the i mean the, the the main technical problem in in making okay. like react uh, server components a reality for react native so for the problem is hosting and making the process as easy as possible so when 
there will be a framework or library that will adopt server components. The ease of update of implementing needs to be very simple. Like the, the, the typical developer is not able to close the server, to write some plugin, to think about it. The framework is the key part and the bundler and the navigation. The mm -hmm. developer experience when using it needs to be very simple and very developer friendly to make this concept successful. So um, a minute ago, you also said that the native app needs to have something when it initially loads. Um, I I just try to imagine like the the smallest possible native app shell. Basically, you start the app and you have like a like a white Swift screen or whatever and a loading indicator until you have a connection. Do you think an app like that could be possible where you really have like only a super super tiny initial shell with basically nothing and loading completely everything else using uh, RSC? So actually, I need to, to cor correct this. Uh, so except from the, uh, the loaders, we need to have like navigators and imagine like Twitter app. And that is the, the example that I can I can explain this topic and I think everyone will, will understand. So when we are, we are opening the app, the experience is that we have loaded and cached posts and we don't have a blank screen. We have a list with some cached posts that were fetched some time ago. And now we are waiting for the new request. And also we have tab bar, we have navigators that are accessible. And with, with React server components, with new model, those navigators, those cached posts will be there because like caching is the key thing um, here. Like I really simplified this with saying that, yeah, we need only activity indicator. In the real life world, we will need a lot more thing, um, and it will depend on the app use case. But yeah, all things that needs to be clickable and accessible for users immediately before we had the server component needs to be after adding this directive. But uh, who, who who says so? <laughs> so is I mean I know the the laws and the requirements by Apple that a native app should basically or mostly i don't know how they like exactly this uh, explain it should work without making huge calls to a server which basically says you can't load your whole application from a server and display any kind of dynamic content um but for example just the other day guillermo from Vercel posted an example where like i think it's the doordash app or something Mm -hmm. uh, which just doesn't work offline. And I mean, it's the same if I start Clash of Clans on my, my iPhone, it won't work offline. Like I need a connection. So for these apps that use React Native or server components, I mean, they could also say like, you're offline, this won't work. And the whole app only works if you're online. And then we can still download everything. Do, do you think like this is a problem or this won't be allowed? Um, it is allowed and... Apple cannot block it, but the difference, uh, what is grandma was saying, uh, and I think Evan from, from expo was like describing it 
like when you don't have internet connection on the web, you have literally blank screen, bl blank screen. <laughs> but when you don't have internet connection on native app and you properly implement your caching, you are, you are still able to navigate through navigators and see cached, but still a content. So it depends on the implementation, but native app with proper implementation without internet connection is not the same as the website. And that's the difference. Uh, okay. Yeah. I, I see the point. Yeah. So I'm, I'm definitely excited about the, the concept, um, of react server components with react native, uh, at your talk, I think you said you are working on an example, but correct me if I'm wrong. Are you already at that phase or like how, how far are we? Yeah. So I had a break in, in implementing, implementing this. Uh, but yeah, I might some post soon something. So, so yeah, make sure to, to follow the, the tech Twitter and we might release something. Um, definitely a, a very interesting space. And yeah, we'll see in the future what this year will, will, will bring to us. I think I'm not sure if it was in that talk, but I, but I took a note, um, that you said 2024 will be a year of universal apps. I don't know if these are your words or. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. so could you explain what you, what you think is going on this year or what you hope to see? Yeah. This is the one of the hot takes I, I sometimes post <laughs> on the Twitter while being on lesson. And why I'm bored. So, so yeah, I, I know that Expo uh, is strongly working on this. So, you know, we have React Native and with React Native, we are able to ship to multiple platforms, with basically one code base without compromises. The end user experience is the same as native, but when shipping React Native for web, it's tricky because React Native for web is that doesn't contain the same con concepts as the, for example, Next.js app today. But what the community is trying to do is to bring React Native for web new concepts, server components, um, SSR, all these things to truly make a universal app with one code base. So one code base shipped to native platforms and web without compromises, without saying that React Native for web is big and you shouldn't use it. Yeah, that's really the, the ultimate dream. And um, I'm, I'm also kind of convinced that we're going to move closer to this in 2024. We will probably not have like the final solution to it, uh, but, I, but I feel we're moving in the right direction here as well. Exactly. Um, I had two more questions I wanted to bring up. Uh, the first, I'm not sure if you can answer, but this was related to over-the-air updates. And when you gave your talk, I just had this question in my mind because with React Native over-the-air updates, we can like replace stuff in the JS bundle. As you said, you can like mm -hmm. fix a button, fix a bug. My question would be, is there a limit to what you can do with over-the-air updates? And I don't mean, I'm, I understand that I can't add a new plugin, like I can't add... React Native Vision Camera because this is like native code and requires stuff. But could I essentially like build a completely different JS bundle experience? Could I exchange the the whole bundle? Um, it is tricky, and I think we need some blog posts which will describe this in detail. 
because a lot of people is concerned about this. And the key thing is that if you do something wrong, App Store can ban your app from the App Store. Mm. And for the business, it can be painful. Yeah. So when it comes to over the year updates, uh, in my perspective, like fixing bugs, adding minor things would be okay. But where, when we are adding new features or features that Apple low is, is not uh, okay with it, it can be, it, Apple can be angry on this and, and can ban your, ban your app. So we need to be careful and, and yeah, when it comes to big things, things that can, can be not okay with Apple low, we need to be really careful because the, uh, the game is about our app and our business. So, yeah. Yeah, uh, it, it's an unfair fair game. Um, both Apple and Google do basically what they want. And I, I guess my question was just like, how far can we take things? How far can we go? But uh, I think the recommendation for everyone is just don't try to overstep the border. And like, if you add a major new feature, just be safe, be on the safe side and just release a new uh, version through the iOS and, and Google Play review. Because in those cases, if they don't like it, they can say it. And otherwise, it will just be available after a few days. Yes, exactly. Okay, so that brings me to my last point. And that is something I stumbled upon the other day. Um, this is regarding to micro front ends. And I know that CallStack uh, has worked or has this thing called Repack going on. As far yes. as I know, Repack um, is basically a different bundle. It's using Webpack instead of Metro, as mm -hmm. far as I understood. Exactly. And so you can have like micro front ends. I used this before. It's kind of not hard to set up micro front ends with module federation. Like you can piece together React and Vue and solid front ends and combine all of them in, in one project. Um, have you tried Repack or have you, have you seen it? being used and, and of, how well does it work? Of course, of course, I, I tried and I was contributing to Repack. Um, we have a lot of clients uh, that are adopting a Repack. Unfortunately, because of the NDAs, I can't say the names, sure. but these are big players. And as you said, Repack allows us to use module federation and bundle splitting in release apps right now with React Native. And I, I was, if you are, we are talking about my de demo with React Server Components. And if I, I'm, if I will be, if I will be publishing something, I will be publishing the demo with Repack. So, so yeah, Repack is the thing. And, and yeah, it's great to see that actually React Native has other bundlers, because of course we have Metro that is a default bundler, but we have also Repack and we have Vite integration, I think that is experimental right now, but we are, we are experimenting with new bundlers, new features, and maybe new optimizations. So, so it's great to see it. So I, I approached it, of course, from the, from the point of like the module federation, but, uh, from you having seen it in the reality, what, what are the other like core features of using Repack or why are companies using it? Like, are there specific reasons to, to use it over Metro? 
Um, you have also over the year updates set up, you can also set up over the year updates with Repack. Uh, but yeah, like Repack is of course not for every app and you probably have like, you probably need to have like very complicated setup to use Repack and it's solving some problems, but it's not solving all problems. Uh, so yeah, you need to like go through the materials that we are publishing. And also recently we, actually one year ago, I think, not recently, time flies, uh, we published a super apps um, demo example. It is a repository that is using Repack with module federation, with all examples, the code sharing and everything, and how you can set it set it up with, with across teams. So, yeah. Yeah, I think uh, super app is the is the term most people used for these like uh, apps using multiple micro front ends and module federation and um, but but from what I saw or read and what you say, like using repack and that sort of setup is like that will only help if you're a company of I don't know forty developers. It won't really change things if you're like three or five developers working on an app, right? Yes, probably yes. Okay, good. So that's good to know. But for everyone who's working at a company which has like problems at this scale, definitely also check out Repack. So that already brings us to the end. Um, I'm honestly, I'm, I'm so happy that you've been here, Shimon, not only because we share the same name, you have like the Polish version of Simon, <laughs> exactly. uh, but also because my mind is still blown that you as a 17-year-old had absolutely no problem in talking 40 minutes here on a podcast in a language that is not your first language about a topic that is not easy. So um, I hope to see a lot more from you in the future. And I think you're uh, a great addition to the React Native uh, and the whole React ecosystem. So thank you so much for taking the time today. Yeah, thanks for having me and thanks for the invite. Yeah. Um, so where can people find out more about all the cool things you do and uh, you're working on right now? Of course, on Twitter, twitter.com slash monorepchak. And I'm trying to post there very often stuff that we are cooking up cold stack. Uh, great. I, I also, by the way, is also X and Twitter. So for everyone <laughs> in the future listening, exactly. um, are, are you cooking up any or preparing any future talks um, after your React talk in, in Berlin? Um, I don't know. We'll see. But if I am to, I will probably talk about server components. Nice. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to that. So thanks again for joining me. And hopefully at the maybe at the end of 2024, we, we have another episode and then cover how you can implement server components. With hopefully. <laughs> hopefully. So thanks and uh, goodbye. Bye.